I'm going to ask you to pray after I read the text. So get ready, my brother. And you can pray. Acts 20 in verse 7. Now, tonight, it's tonight. Let me explain how I used to do most of my preaching. For years, I got my text. I would just read the Bible. And if something spoke to me, that's what I would teach to the, to the family, to the, to the congregation. But a couple of years ago, the Lord really showed me that, that if we want to know what God said as a whole, one of the best ways to do it, not the only, but one of the best ways to do it is to do expository preaching. You just go through the Bible, and you don't pick what you preach it is just simply in line with the text. Now, I kind of do a combination of both. I do what the Lord leads me to do. Sometimes, if I am in... We're constantly now in expository preaching. Either we're the book of Acts, or we're the book of Hebrews. We're done with the book of Hebrews. We go, we're now in the book of Micah. Uh, we, we did Esther on a Wednesday night. Now we're in Micah. And now we're in Ephesians on Sunday morning constantly and somewhere in the life of this church we are going to be in a book somewhere but that doesn't mean that God cannot say hey I want this text and over the last month we've done that several times now this is a text that I would have never chosen to preach I've read this many times and I've always wondered what in the world is in here to really speak of in a service. Does anybody remember the story in the Bible where Paul is preaching for a long time and some dude named Eutychus fell out the window and died? Anybody remember that text? Well, brothers and sisters, that's where we're at tonight. And that's the story. And I've also often went like, Lord, what is there? And because I always waited for something to bite my heart, the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart about something, I just never got anything out of Eutychus falling out of the window and dying, and then Paul going down there and raising him from the dead. But there's a lot in this text. And that's one of the blessings of expository teaching and preaching. You just, you just let the text talk. So tonight, I won't really preach to you. There's nothing, there's nothing that, that like, um, like this morning, to know God. That was the whole thought. There's nothing in this text tonight like that to grab onto and to just simply press all the way through to know God. But as I studied this text and I and I and just began to go through what is there, there are some wonderful observations that we can make from this text that can apply to us as a people of God. That's what I kind of want to just look at tonight. The observations that we see in this text from verses 7 to verse 12. So let's read them together and then we'll have uh, Roy pray for us as we get into his word, the Lord's word. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the morrow. And he continued his speech until midnight. Aren't you glad I don't continue my speech until midnight? 
I'm sure sometimes there are times when you think I am, but praise the Lord. He preached and he spoke and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus. Now, we're not exactly sure of his age. Now, the Bible calls him a young man. That could be somewhere between the age of 8 and 15 or 22 and 42. And if that's the case, the young man between 8 and 15 or 22 and 42, Andrew, you and I are well past being young men. Amen. We don't fit into that category at any rate. Okay. So, but Eutychus was a young man and being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and he fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And when Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, trouble not yourselves for his life is in him. Now, when he said that, do you, do you know what it really brings to mind and connects to? Connects to two prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. And I'll, I'll share about that in a moment. And when he therefore was come up again, he, he, and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. And we're going to take that scripture and we're going to look to see what the Lord has in it for us. Just now, it's probably the best text in all of scripture for worshiping the Lord on a Sunday. For coming into his presence on a, on a Sunday and, and holding a service. You've got to remember, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the people who worship God, they would meet on, on the Sabbath, which was what day? Saturday, it was the seventh day. But when, when, when the, the people began to follow Christ and be followers of the way, and even on that first day when Christ rose up from the ground, the people were found to be together. And when the Lord came and met with them, they, they worshiped and they gathered together. And especially on the day of Pentecost, they were there on that first day, that that, that Sunday, as they were gathering together, and the Lord Holy Spirit came upon them, and they went out and they preached and they proclaimed Christ. Now, this text, though, is pretty, pretty clear as to when they worshiped and came together. And again, look at verse 7. Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together, when those who followed Jesus came together to break bread. Now, as we look at this text, they didn't hold services like we do. You know why? Their entire culture was different. When I was, um, when we were preparing to go to Israel for last September, it, it was pretty much a constant work of two years. For two years, after I got back from my trip in 2012, I began pretty much immediately starting to plan and prepare the trip to Israel in last, for last September. And it, for me, it was kind of cool because most things here are not open on a Sunday. You can't really work and plan on a Sunday. But I would constantly be in contact with the people at Amiel on Sunday because that was their first day of the week to go back to work and, and be in business. Oftentimes, it was, it was the Friday night to Saturday night that I could never reach anybody because they were on their Shabbat. They were on their Sabbath. 
And so the Jewish people would meet on that Saturday for their worship in their synagogue, but the Christian people met on Sunday. But they were at work. So their services didn't start at 10 o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock in the morning and have services throughout the day. You know when they met? They met after work. They'd go to work all day long. Some of them, even in the church there in Ephesus and other places, some of them were slaves. They were indentured servants to other people, and they couldn't have off during the day, so they would come in the evening when their work was over and it was their private time. So the services back then, they were held after work later in the evening. And when they would come, you know, the Bible says that Paul tarried. When he got to Troas, if you look at verse 6, and we sailed away from Philippi even under the, uh, after the days of unleavened bread, and he came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode or tarried or stayed for seven days. Paul may have tarried those seven days just to be with the church, with the people of God in Troas. And he spoke. And he was so burdened to get to Jerusalem, yet he put the Lord in the Lord's day first. Maybe Paul was thinking, if I continue uh, traveling past Troas, I'll be on some ship for the Lord's day. I'll be traveling in some caravan on the Lord's day. But if I stay and tarry, I can meet with the brethren and the sisters in Christ, and I can share their their ministry with them, and I can share the Lord's Supper with them, and I can bring some word to them. But the, the thing here is, they met on Sunday, and they met in the evening after work. And I got to thinking about that. As we can see later in the text, do you know the place in which they met? We have no idea how big it was. But we know they would have picked a, a larger, the largest room that they could find. It was in someone's home. And in this case, we know it was up on, on several floors up. I think it said the third level that he fell out. They would find the biggest room, and the place was packed. It was crowded so much so that this fellow Eutychus had to sit in the window to find a place to, to be in the service and, and to be able to find and sit and hear and listen. The point is this. Do you know what? Even after long, hard days of work, no matter what they were doing, it doesn't seem like people were making excuses to be out of the house of the Lord. They wanted to be together. In church, it wasn't just going and singing a few songs and hearing a word. It, 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 it encompassed a whole myriad of, of different things. When they would first gather together in the church, does anybody know what the first thing is that, that they would do in the early church when they would gather into whatever place they were worshiping at? What was the first thing they did? Anybody? Nope. Not pray? Nope. They ate. Not just when they break in bread, like in the Lord's Supper, they would actually come together and they, they would call it the agape feast or the love feast. And everybody would come together and they would bring a little food, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And they would t bring it together and they would use it as a communal meal. It would be something like we would call, does anybody know the term potluck? It would be a potluck meal. 
Maybe Lisa would bring some lasagna and Andrew would bring something that would be weird and unknown to most people, but delicious in the same. And, and you know, Ponset would come and maybe something of an Iranian-flavored dish would come. Everybody would bring something of, of, from their home, a little bread and a little this and a little that. And they would fellowship together. And they would come together to be together. You know, it, it struck me as you read this text. And upon the first day of the week, they came together. And when, when the disciples would meet and they broke bread, they wanted to be together. They looked forward to being with one another. The church enjoyed fellowshipping, and in that fellowship also gave witness of their oneness in Christ. Because this word here, break bread, specifically talks of the Lord's Supper. When it says the breaking of bread there in the Greek, it means not only did they have their meal together, because that's the first thing they would do, but after they, their meal, they would break bread. They would have that Lord's Supper and I know this is, this is not usual for us, but in the early church, they observed the Lord's Supper, Supper each Lord's Day. It's not commanded for us to do that. It's only commanded what? As oft as we do it, we do it to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But you know, something that I didn't know, it's quite unusual when they would meet together on the Sunday, they did it because that's the day Christ rose again from the dead. Again, it was another part of the aspect of connecting with Christ as the Messiah, remembering. Do you know, folks, it's so important that they remembered what Jesus did for them. Because, you know, I think when we remember what Christ has done for us, it keeps a humble heart and a humble attitude, doesn't it? And so they would come and meet together on that Sunday and they would come together in fellowship, opening up their meals, their meal, their food with each other. And at the end of that, then they would observe the Lord's Supper. But did you know that there were some believers, and it's documented as such, that probably ended many of their regular meals at home by taking bread and wine and remembering the Lord's death? Now you think about it. The Jewish people, and Andrew would know this quite well because he, he really said, they do a lot of things at home, in their home, don't they, to remember what God has done for them. And they, 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 uh, when we were in Israel in September, was it New Year's or something? It was New Year's. And, and when we were in the hotel for, for the New Year's, if I had known it was going to be New Year's, I would have moved the date. Be, because some of the things were closed and, and that kind of thing. But everybody came into the hotel and, and reserved the, their place in the hotel. And, and it was like what we do on December 31st. You know, you go someplace and you celebrate with family and friends. Well, all these Jewish people, they were sitting at tables in large groups with their whole families. And the head of the family, the father, would get up. And I forget what it's called, Andrew, but he would take this loaf of bread a special loaf of bread, and he broke it, and he would have others pray. They were remembering and honoring and worshiping God, though they were doing it without the Messiah. They were still going through that to worship God. 
when it came to the Christian church, a lot of that Jewishness, Jewishness came into their Christian worship. And instead of maybe taking the Passover like that or, or the Shabbat like that, what they would do is they would take the Lord's Supper. And I think that's pretty awesome. You know, Jojo, they were at home sharing with their family, with their children, with, with the people that lived in their home that Je- what Jesus Christ had done for them. Now, my family, we've never done a Lord's Supper in our own home. And I imagine most people haven't. But this thing about the breaking of bread and the remembering of what Christ had done for them was so, so important to that early church. So they met on the Sunday and they would have that fellowship meal and then together as a body of people who followed Christ, they would break the bread and remember how Christ broke His body for them. And they would drink the juice and remember about how He shed His blood for the forgiveness and the remission of our sins. But then after they did that, they would have a time of the message. Now in this instance, it was Paul. Paul got up, the Bible says, and he preached unto the people in that church. That word preached means that he spoke. He talked to them. He talked to them about the things of the Lord. And I got to thinking, wow, already this church has been together quite a long time. It's already probably later in the evening. They've worked all day. They've had a meal together. They've taken the Lord's Supper. And now they would come into the part where they would have the reading and the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. You know, a lot of times in in those early churches, even Paul said, listen, until I come to you to be able to reveal more doctrine and teaching, I want you, and he told this to Timothy, I want you to give attention to reading and to encouragement and to doctrine that I have already taught you. You know, Paul was constantly in, in writing and sending out letters. And when these churches would gather together, they would read God's Word. Colossians, Paul wrote, Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Reading the Word of God was a main point in in the worship of that early church. Now we've kind of started switching things Around, I was talking to someone this week when, they, when in their travels they had visited another church. It, it, was, uh, it was Anton. Now, Anton has moved to Croydon and he was, he was visiting another church and, and we still talk. We're meeting up this week. And um, he said, Pastor, I went to this church and it was okay, but we sang for almost 45 minutes or an hour. I mean, just saying and saying and saying. And then I thought, okay, the pastor gets up there, and now he's going he's gonna to teach the Word. And he laughed. He said, Pastor, I'm used to your sermons where they last almost an hour, and we only sing for a short time. When he got up, he spoke. He spoke only about 15 or 20 minutes. And he said, Pastor, I sat there, and I was like, I was still hungry for the Word. 
I wanted teaching. I wanted something to grow by. And we've kind of moved things around to make our services more entertaining. Entertained Christians are not growing Christians. Entertained believers are not believers that, that are strongly founded on the, on the foundation of Christ. We can't be looking for entertainment. What we need is God's word. Amen? Songs are good, and I love music. We talk about it in my, in my home all the time. I have misplaced my earbuds, and it's driving me crazy because I'm constantly listening to music, and I love music. But you know what? It, music is not what has helped me to grow. Not strong in Christ, not in doctrine, not in teaching, not in my faith. It has been a blessing to me but the Bible doesn't say listen to music and music will keep you from sin or hide music in your ears and, and, and you will not sin against me. The Bible says hide, thy, hide my word in your heart that you might not sin against God. Beloved, I, since I've been here for seven years, the main thing I say is this book. We need this book, amen? We need God's word. God's word is is what will change our life. And what do we see from this church in, in Troas? We see that they love to fellowship. We see that they remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we also see that they made a main emphasis in God's Word. The Bible says that Paul preached long. He preached until midnight. Now, don't, don't take much into that statement. It's not, I know I can preach long, but the Bible's not teaching us to preach long. What the Bible's teaching us here is that they made the preaching of God's word an emphasis and a main point in their ministry. You know, I was thinking about this. Maybe Paul preached long to them because it was going to be the last time that he was in Troas. He was going off to Jerusalem. His plans were to go into um, uh, Rome after he went to Jerusalem and then from Rome he wanted to go into Spain Paul was becoming an older man y you know this was his third missionary journey Th this was probably going to be the last time that he was going to see these beloved Christians in Troas and so he spoke to them from his heart and he was passionate about it and he wanted to share the, the word of God to them but the point is this, that the proclaiming of God's word to God's people is very, very important. Has anybody ever heard of the, a man by the name of Dr. Lo Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones? Hazel has, I think. Say that again? Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, I really am. <laughs> Is it where you're living now? Oh, I'm going to have to go stalk the house and maybe touch the pavement or something. Just kidding. Sort of. But, but, but Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, God greatly used him. And this is what he said. He said, The decadent periods and eras in the history of the church have always been those periods when preaching has declined. Did you hear that? 
The decadent periods and eras in the history of the church have always been those periods when preaching has declined. And I can't help but think about the period of, in which we are in today. Listen, we have a lot of noise and a lot of chatter religiously. You can go home tonight and turn on the TV and there's umpteen uh, channels of, of religious things going on. And there's so you can get CDs and DVDs and, and all kinds of stuff mailed to you or sent to you via electronic. And you can constantly hear preaching or constantly hear religious stuff. But a lot of it is just flat out dead. I'll, I'll tell you, um, I'm not sure if some of you seen this, but uh, we were sent uh, 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 on, on Facebook a video from, from Joe Tyndall. So if you're friends with Crazy Joe... You've probably seen it. Did you see the video where there was a man, th this preacher was videoing a rodeo? Anybody see that? This preacher was videoing a rodeo, and, and, he, and he would face his phone to him and say, yeah, man, people got saved tonight. And I'm like, I'm, I'm watching, I think, oh, they had an evangelistic meeting at a rodeo. You know what they did? They turned their church into a rodeo. They moved pews and stuff, and they brought in dirt, and apparently they brought the rodeo, right? In, right, Andrew? Into the church. And, and Joe would say, this is awful. And, and I wrote on, I said, this is what makes the world laugh at the church. This is not worship. And someone wrote, well, if, if the rodeo would bring people in to hear the gospel, then it's worth it. I'm all for doing things to draw people to hear the gospel. But you know what? This guy didn't preach the gospel. He was a word of faith preacher. He wasn't preaching that Jesus Christ did this so that you can be saved. He was preaching and still preaches stuff like, you know what? Look at your wallet. Tell your wallet to get fat and God will bless your wallet and you will have lots of money. You know what? I wonder why Paul didn't go around on his missionary journeys telling his little purse bag to get fat. Because you know what he had to do, Andrew? He had to go make tents and work as a, as, as a tent maker to help provide his own means. It's funny how preachers so-called today are telling us to do things the apostles never did themselves or never told their church to do. Amen? Doesn't that make, make sense? You know, if they didn't teach it, why are people today teaching it? You know, Dr. Lloyd-Jones is absolutely right. Today, we have such debauchery when it comes to the preaching of the pulpit. No wonder, no wonder with as many churches there are in the world today, yet there is no revival in Western nations. You think about that. The last revival we can really think of probably here was in 1903 in Wales. Do you, do you remember that revival, Andrew? Yeah, the one in 1903. Millions of people, I know you're awake. Millions of people got saved around the world from that little revival in Wales. And we sing a song that came out of that revival. Do you know the song, Here is Love? Here is Love? Yeah, that, that song came out of that revival. The decadent times of church history are marked by the, the, the 
the decline of proper preaching. You know, preaching can be done in many types, many ways, and many forms. You know what the definition of preaching is? The dictionary calls it this. To deliver a sermon or a religious address to a group of people, typically in a church. I guess is a dry definition. That can be preaching. But you know, I, I also heard it defined this way one time. Preaching is truth by personality. Truth by personality. But here's the definition I really like. What is preaching? It is simply to expound God's Word. It's to open up the inspired text with such faithfulness and sensitivity that God's voice is heard and His people obey Him. All too often, we think preaching is actually entertainment. We want the preacher to get up and shout and carry on and run around and do all kinds of weird stuff. But you know what? Preaching is even when a man gets up and speaks monotone. Have you ever heard of the man by the name of Jonathan Edwards? Anybody? We need to have a church history class. Because some of these old guys are awesome. Jonathan Edwards preached in the 1700s, I believe. Right, Emily? Yes. <laughs> in America. Now let me ask you this. Have you ever heard a sermon title called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? Yeah. Ah. Okay. That's Jonathan Edwards. And I've told you this story many, many times before. Jonathan Edwards was used of God to spark a revival in America in the 1700s. Probably from that sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God. The description is people would, would be in the, in, the, in the church service and as he would preach that message, they would moan and, and cry and actually come forward to be saved before he would even finish the sermon. There was such power in the proclaiming of that message by Jonathan Edwards. And when I first became a Christian and a follower of the Lord, and, and my pastor would tell this story about Jonathan Edwards, I imagined Jonathan Edwards standing by, behind his pulpit, you know, loud voice screaming, beating on his pulpit, yelling at the people, talking about an angry God against sin. Do you know what the reality was? Jonathan Edwards was a meek and mild man. When he spoke, he spoke monotone. He would just read his sermon. Didn't even look at the congregation. Do you know why? Because the power was not in his delivery. The power was in the Word of God. That's what preaching is. And that's what our world today needs. Is to open up that inspired text with faithfulness and sensitivity. That God's voice is heard and His people obey Him. And, and, and please don't take this wrongly, but anybody can preach God's Word if God asks them to do it. Because it's not about being trained and it's not about uh, having necessarily ability and it's not about you know, being entertaining. It's about being faithful to the text being sensitive to the text, and sharing what God has spoken to you 
to the people that are out here. Now, I say that because I've asked several men over the, this, for this summer because my family and I are going to go visit my mom and her family uh, this September. And I'm going to be away in those weeks of September. And instead of going out and trying to get someone to come in and, and preach in this pulpit, we have people in our church, we have men of God in our church that can take that time and, and bring a message. And I want to encourage you guys tonight. It doesn't take, you don't think that you've got to entertain God's people. All that you need to do is be faithful to what that text says and bring that text faithfully to God's people and let the Spirit of the Lord speak to people. Amen? That's why you can go home and you can read that book and you can look at what it says and it speaks to you because there's power in those words. And in closing, let me give you a couple of observations. We just have a few minutes left. So they come together on Sunday because that's the day Jesus come up from the grave. And they would have a meal together. You know why? Because they loved each other and they fellowshiped together. And probably it made it a whole lot easier to come from work straight to church than to go home, cook, and then come. Amen? It's just think about it. It's, it's the way it worked. And then at the end of that meal, they would, they would reflect upon what Jesus did and they would have the Lord's Supper. And then someone, whether it's James or Peter or Paul or some other man, Timothy, Titus, Silas, whoever, would get up and they would read scriptures and they would teach the Word of God to their people. But as I look at this text and we get to verse 8, notice in verse 8, it says that there were many lamps in that room. No big deal. You've got to remember, this was Ephesus. They were in a place that it wasn't necessarily very happy for the followers of Jesus to be there. Remember I told you this morning, Ephesus is the place where the riot over the, 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 the goddess Diana happened, where tens of thousands, 25,000 people gathered together in an uproar because of people, so many people getting saved, they stopped buying the silver shrines. And it affected the economy of these shrine makers. And they got mad. And you know what? Bible says that there were many lights in that upper room and as I was reading it commentator after commentator said this what is so poignant about all those lights is they weren't trying to be secret about their worship they truly were a shining light to that community think about it up there on that third floor or something all those people crammed into that room and they had many lights in that room that light was shining out from those windows now I remember the verse of the Bible where it says, no one when he has lit a lamp covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed or puts anything over it, but sets it upon a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. And I got to thinking, what inside our church would be a light to our world outside? What inside our church would draw the attention of those who are dead in their sins and trespasses to this place? What of the light of the gospel is being seen from this place. When they came, there was light's abundance. But you know what though? Those lamps also caused a problem. So many lamps helped to contribute to the conditions that, you, that caused Eutychus to fall asleep. The Bible says that when Paul was preaching long and he was close to midnight, 
Eutychus was overcome with exhaustion. I always thought, you know what? If I ever preached out of this text, I don't think I might, but if I ever did, I know what I would call my sermon. Years ago, I would think about it, and I said, I'll call my sermon, Don't Be a Eutychus. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall out the window because you're too tired to listen to God's Word. But the point and truth is this. The dude was tired. He worked all day. It was hot and stuffy in that room, right? There was all those lamps, but guess what? They weren't burning GE light bulbs in those lamps. What were they burning, Andrew? They're burning oil. What does burning oil leave off? Smoke, fumes. It was stuffy, it was hot, and that old boy could not stay awake because he fell asleep. Pastor, what can we get from that? You know what I can get from that? It's important to make sure that the conditions in our building are suitable for people to come and hear the Word of God. Hey, you know what we did when we first got to church this morning? Somebody had a party outside last night, and there was rubbish all over the place. Right, Jake? I see Jake goes, "Mm mm-hmm, because I got to pick it up. So Jake went and got a rubbish bag, and we picked up rubbish from the front of the building to the back of the building and a little bit into the street. Why? To make it conducive to people. When they come to the church of God, they don't have to walk through a pile of rubbish. Amen? You know what? The Lord has blessed this place to put heat in this building. Hazel remembers when there was no heat in this building. Yeah, I remember when we first visited, it was summertime. It was brilliant. Then it got into the wintertime. Man, we'd sit in that back second row back over there, and Lisa would bring a blanket, or we'd find a blanket. We'd all be cuddled up under blankets in the church building here. I remember Morris, who's about eight foot tall or something. He was a good 6'4", wasn't he? 6'3"? Morris, Morris was really tall. He'd have his big old long coat on and gloves, and he'd be up here. It was freezing. The only heats that we had, right, Hazel, were these little, I called them head warmers that were above up here on the balustrade and inside. And the only heat that I ever felt was a little bit on the top of my head. I remember when the Lord brought me here as minister and I would come on a Saturday night in the wintertime and I would turn on these late at night because I didn't want to turn them on too early, but I would turn them on late at night just, just to try to get a little heat and I come the next morning, and I could barely, I couldn't even tell that those had been burning all night. I remember people coming and visiting and not coming back, and I talked to them, it's just too cold in there. It was cold. Some of you remember. Do you know what? It is important to make this place conducive for people to come into the church house. And you know what? All of our, it's all of our jobs. You know, we come in, if it needs hoovered, hoover. If there's some rubbish, pick it up. If there's a place where you see a visitor come in and they don't have a place to sit, move and let them sit there. We need to make it conducive so people will hear the gospel and grow in their faith or become a Christian. But Eutychus, because of the conditions of that place, he fell asleep and he died. And and I read a quote by Spurgeon. He says, if we go to sleep during the sermon and die, there are no apostles to restore us. What does that mean? It means this. Eutychus, he had the great blessing of Apostle Paul being an Elijah and Elisha and raising him up from the dead. 
And I think of this all the time. You know why? Because I see it. I see many people come into our building and instead of listening to God's message, they're on, they're on their phone. They're on their tablet. I shouldn't probably say it, but my kids will come to me and tell me, Dad, so-and-so was on Facebook the whole time in the message. Do you know why my kids know that? Because they're sitting back there at that sound desk recording everything, and they see it, and they say, Dad, I don't understand. Why do they come to church if they're not listening to the message? That breaks my heart because you know why? It is God's word that brings life. Amen? And folks, we shouldn't do anything that prohibits us from hearing God's word. Well, Eutychus falls out the window. He dies. Paul raises him up from the dead. But after the miracle in verse 11, look what happens. When he therefore was come up again and he had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And I'll close with this thought, still a few minutes before our normal time of ending. Paul did not preach after he rose Eutychus from the dead. He didn't preach. The Bible says that he talked a long while. He talked with them. Maybe he talked about what God had done in other cities. Maybe he certainly encouraged them and they were touched with what was said as some of them, but not all, stayed until dawn. Not everybody stayed after Eutychus was raised from the dead, but many, some of them, stayed and fellowshiped with Paul and then they all went off to work. What I see in the picture here is this. Do you know what? The church is a place of fellowship over what God does in the life of those present. It's just not about coming and and coming and let's get the Lord's Supper or let's get a meal or let's get a message. Do you know what they did afterwards? They, They spoke with one another and they talked with one another and Paul shared things with them and they fellowshiped together. The the thing is, is this. There should be joy over people hanging out and rejoicing. Last Sunday and many Sunday nights, I'm done, I've talked out, I've talked all day. I just sometimes I go back in the back there and I stand and I watch. And there's little groups all over the church sometimes talking. Kirsty, you don't remember, you probably don't think of this, but the first very night that you came, remember I met you back there? Then you left. Remember that? Next ten, five minutes later, I see you up here or something, talking with Annette and, and Corey and Nikki and others. And y'all were talking and fellowshipping and there was other people and oftentimes I see my kids over here talking to James and stuff. What's the point? The point is this. We shouldn't just come to church and bolt out. There's life in this place. And you know what I imagine? I imagine they were talking about, whoa, did you see old Udy fall out the window? That boy died. Paul went down there and brought him up again. And they rejoiced over what God did. In that service, now granted, not every night where Paul went did he did people fall out windows and die and him raise them up from the grave. But you know what? Sometimes I grieve for those who don't come to church and miss out on what God does. Miss out on the fellowship. Miss out on the truths taught. Miss out of being a part of being here. 
Because you know what? Being here is not simply just for the word in the worship, which is important and most important, but also to enjoy each other. Lisa and I have often said our most favorite day of the week is the day we get to come and be in the fellowship of God's house. And I think about what about those who had missed the service that night? Back in the day of Eutychus falling out the window. What about those who had missed being there that night? The Bible doesn't say that someone missed, but certainly we can understand human nature. Somebody probably missed. They missed what God did. They missed the miracle of the raising from the dead. They missed experiencing and being in the place where God did something wonderful. You know what? I don't want to miss being in the place where God does something wonderful. I don't want to miss the fellowship. I don't want to miss the Word. I don't want to miss the service of God's people. What if you were alive 2,000 years ago in Troas? You'd never forget what God did that night. Amen? And you know what? Maybe we're not raising people from the dead like Paul did, but we are certainly in the ministry of helping God raise people from the dead. You know what? Today, this morning, there were lost people in our church. Tonight, right now, there are people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. How do you know? Because I'm talking to them. And I know. And you know what? Maybe one day, their heart will be opened, their understanding will be opened, and they'll come to Christ. And beloved, you don't want to miss that. Amen? God is working. Let's be there to see what God is doing. Let's pray. Every hub bowed and every eye closed. Before Emily plays and Dinah comes to sing, how about we do this? How about we take a minute tonight and let us pray for those who are not here. Let us pray, because all you know what? A lot of us have a heavy heart today. These last couple of months have not been easy. But I see God working. And let us pray, just quietly and silently. Let us pray for those who aren't here. And let us pray for our hearts. That we would just purpose in our heart to seek the Lord. And to be in our place where we should be. Last night, you just, just be in reflection, just be in prayer. And, and I'll finish with this. Last night, one of the people in our church had to work all night long. They worked until about 7-ish this morning, went home, got ready, and when the, church, when the service started, and we were singing our songs, I looked up, and there they were in their place. And so, someone was talking to them afterward and said, you know, you worked all night. I'm tired just from just a, a few hours less of sleep, but you haven't even slept yet. And they, they said to the person talking to them, I wanted, I wanted to be in my place 
I wanted to be in my place for the Lord. You know, that's important. And I look at people like that and I see them growing in Christ. And as we looked at this text this evening and see how important it is to be in God's house. Let us not miss what God's doing. Just pray for a minute and then I'll close.